0: Got oh. it, got it, got it, 33. Center field, Marsh leaps, and he got it. Is it normally? High fly ball, deep left field, oh, 27. Does it again. For this year. Oh. Wolf sends it well out to left center field. And it's gone. He, he wins it, Jared. Way This is Brandon Marsh for Los Angeles Angels baseball. You listen to All Angels podcast. And welcome to another edition of the All Angels podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Garcia. So obviously, not a good weekend at all. Very historical weekend for the Angels. But normally, when I say that, it's because Shohei Otani took them out or did something crazy at the plate. This time. It was at the plate, but it was a whole team effort, if that, if you can call it that. But we'll get to that in a bit. We're just going to kind of review a little bit of the games this weekend against the Houston Astros. First place, Houston Astros. The same Houston Astros that Joe Madden once said earlier this year that the Angels weren't far off from. And after this series, that can't be further from the truth. The Angels come in struggling, Angels coming in, seeming to trying to find an identity of who they are, and um, certain guys trying to find a confidence thing again, and it just does not seem to be working. So the very first game of the series was Friday to begin, a new month of July. You're thinking new month, still before the All-Star break, that they would be able to be, again, respectable, I guess, against the Houston Astros was the goal coming in play very good games against the Astros. I wasn't necessarily in the camp of where um, they had to win this series. Realistically, yeah, it would have been nice if they won the series, but realistically, I don't think there was a chance they were going to win this series, let alone sweep it. So going into it, I was hoping for at least one, just get one W out of the way, just so uh, there's not as much pressure going into that last game on Sunday, trying to avoid a sweep. But Nothing seemed to go right with the Angels. Nothing has seemed to go right with the Angels for a while. And that is even including, like I mentioned, the brawl last week. Uh, Archie Bradley during this week, during this weekend series, got placed on the 60 day DL, which means he's gone for at least two months. And then after that, we'll see what happens um, as far as throwing. How long does it take for him to get back? Again, a guy that signed a one year deal for the Angels. So. It's kind of one of those things where if you don't see him again, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised um, in the an Angels uniform. I, again, I don't know that for a fact, but you're going to miss all of July, probably all of August. You're going to come back in September at some point, but who knows how long it's going to take him to get ramped back up again. Maybe, you know, the first week, second week in September. For a guy to signed a one year contract for the, the get injured, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I just. Uh, I don't see him coming back as an angel. And unfortunate part, too, like I mentioned in the podcast before, Archie Bradley would have been a very good piece to trade for something. Granted, you weren't going to get anything huge, but you would probably have been able to get a mid-level prospect and to see what could happen um, going forward for a guy that you had no intention of bringing back for the year after. So, But that's all out the window. Like I mentioned, Archie Bradley put on – the 60 day IL so and and pretty much finishes off you know July and August for Archie so Friday Michael Lorenzen on the last podcast you heard about his struggles in the month of June I think he's one of the guys that's you know really looking forward to July to try to kind of start all over again and that's not what happened and it got ugly for Michael very early in this game the Angels were able to score in the top of the first off a Shohei Otani bomb his 18th of the year. So I guess for that quick second of the series, the Angel fans were feeling very excited. Like, OK, you know, new Astros, new Angels, you know, Angels should be able to take advantage of that. Get up early. And again, Christian Javier. So if you don't remember the name before this start, Christian Javier was part of that no hitter that was thrown against the Yankees. Um, his last start out in New York. So he's been a guy that has been feeling it for a while now. This whole pitching staff on the Astros has been very, very good, and a pitching staff that pretty much took them to the World Series last year minus Justin Verlander. Now they got Justin Verlander. He looks like uh, Justin Verlander. So this team is very, very good. But like I mentioned, it got out of hand for Michael Lorenzen fairly early in the game. First off, in the bottom of the second, he gives up two home runs First one to Yorley uh, Guriel, and the second one to Jake Jake Myers. So luckily, I guess for him, they were both solo shots, so it was only 2-1 to one Angels. And you can kind of bounce back from that. We notice how a lot of Angels pitchers especially kind of have those rough starts of games. This time happened in the bottom of the second. A lot of times it happens in the first, but... A lot of times, these angels pitchers have a really hard time at the beginning of the game, and I don't know what that is or why that why that happens. But it it showed again in this game. In the bottom of the third, the Astros would continue to pour it on when they ended up scoring six runs, six runs in the bottom of the third. And there's not many games you can win by doing that. Lorenzen actually ends up getting out of the third. They let him finish the inning. He ends up giving up. That was it for him. Six hits. Seven earned runs, two walks, three strikeouts, three home runs. The beginning of that third inning, it was really hard to see because there was an error on uh, uh, Tyler Wade at third base, kind of just muffing a ball that should have been an easy out at first. But that was like only going to be the first out of the inning. And yes, I can kind of mess with a pitcher's psyche, but to still give up uh, six runs in that inning... Like I can understand if that one guy came back around, came around and scored, then yeah, that that sucks. But that error was on the very first put, uh, player of that inning, and then right after, like I mentioned, um, the Lorenzo just never seemed to find the zone after that error: single, sack fly, walk, double, single, home run, strikeout, pop out. So it just seems like if that is all it took for him to get rattled like that was one guy on in the third inning and the game was still close at that point. If that's what it took him to get rattled, then I don't know necessarily if he's built to be a starting pitcher. You have to know that there's defensive holes behind you as a pitcher right now with what the angels are putting out there. And yes, no one should be committing air. And yes, that is something that should be dealt with as far as, you know, maybe missing time with Wade. And we'll talk about what his end result has been, but as a pitcher, though, you have to be able to shake that off and go out there and get the next three guys out. And yes, that error might come around and score, but your job is to limit the damage at that point. And if that only that one run scores, you're still technically in; would be in this game three to one. But no, it it really really uh, snowballed on Michael Lorenzen, and he just has not had a good month. Plus, now we talked about what happened in June, July is not off to a good start. It makes you think now. Is he a guy that you can depend on out of that rotation spot? Again, he has been a reliever for the majority of his career with the Cincinnati Reds. And yes, I understand the Angels gave him the opportunity to start when they signed him. But at a certain point, when do you pull the ripcord? When do you pull the ripcord and say, hey, we we, we rather use you out of the bullpen? And especially now with, with what the record is right now, why not? Bring up a younger kid or younger guy. Maybe now you give Jonathan Diaz or Chase Sealseth. I'm not talking about bringing up Kai Bush or some of these guys that you haven't seen yet. I'm talking about the guys that have been up and you've seen a little bit that already have had a taste. They have already had that experience. Why not continue to build that experience? Keep keep the double-A guys. Keep Kai Bush and those guys like the Bachman down there for this year. There's no reason to bring those guys up when you have guys like uh, – Detmers obviously should be up pretty soon. You have Sealseth. You have. Uh, Suarez, you have Berea, you have all these younger guys who have been with the Angels this season at one point or the other. They can fill in that those spots in the rotation. And at least now you can at least see them grow or attempt to grow and, and develop as pitchers going forward. There's no reason to start a clock on a younger guy that's in AA right now because he's doing good. Granted, yes, he is doing good and you probably want to see them get excited, but there's no reason for it right now. And I didn't understand why they really did that a whole lot last year, especially when you look at those guys that they brought up last year during kind of the same struggles as, as the Angels are having now. You know, uh, Packy Naughton, um, Detmers, uh, Cooper uh, Cooper, Criswell. The only one that's really been up still, I believe, is Detmers. And, and I think Jonathan Diaz got a start last year. But all those other guys, for whatever reason, um, Naughton, Paki's not even with the team anymore. He got DFA'd. Uh, Criswell, I think, has been hurt all year. So there's no real reason to bring up some of those double-A guys at the, begin- at the end of this year or coming up after the all-star break, leave it to the guys that you have already started that kind of clock with. And again, Silseth, uh, Diaz, Jaime, uh, Suarez, Detmers. Those are plenty enough guys that can compete for the you know fourth, fifth, and sixth spot. And Lorenzen can go in the bullpen. I, I'm sorry, but if you're really going to try to flip him for something, I think your best bet now is to put him in the bullpen Let's see if he can dominate out of the bullpen with this stuff. Let him focus on two or three pitches and just those pitches alone and let him really hone those in. Let him focus in the bullpen on that. And if he does turn into a really good bullpen piece, you can flip him for at least, like I mentioned, a mid-level prospect, which is a lot more you would get right now if you try to flip him as a starting pitcher. Because I don't know where he stands in this rotation because, again, all of June and this first start in July have been very, very bad for Michael Lorenzen. I I rather see him in the bullpen. I rather see him try to make a name for himself in that bullpen that needs, let's be honest, needs that help right now. Um, Luckily, after this weekend series, all the suspensions are gone. So going into Miami on Tuesday, you would think you would have a full bullpen back with Rossell, um, Wants, and um, Tepera all being done serving suspensions over the uh, Seattle incident and hopefully Austin Warren comes back soon. So you'll have a better bullpen and now you're able to put Lorenzen in there, maybe over Ortega, maybe over, um, maybe you switch him and Jaime, maybe Jaime gets a start to a chance to start for the angels, but you definitely need to start looking at some other place to put Michael Lorenzen because he just has not been able to, to show himself as a starter. Again, he had questions coming into the season, and it has not happened yet, and it has not worked for the Angels yet. But the Angels were only able to get that one run in the very first inning, and that was it. The Angels were limited to two hits this game total. And remember, that first hit from Otani, that home run, was in the first inning. And the only other hit that came was was, was from Luis Rengifo. Mike Trout, 0 for 3, three strikeouts. Ward, 0 for 4, three strikeouts. There, this was a theme all series long, and people can talk about the coaching. And yes, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, as far as um, approach to the plate or ideas coming up to the plate, or or maybe even advanced scouting has something to do with it too. Maybe they're not getting good enough advanced scouting. I don't know. But when your top guys, the first two guys in the lineup, are 0 for 7 with six strikeouts. Those are the guys that are supposed to be better than their coaching. Those guys are supposed to be the ones that pick up the team and carry the team. Um, Mike Trout is going to be, should be Mike Trout every single time. And there's been history of him struggling in, Atlanta, or in Houston with the Astros. I, I tried to find the video and I could not find it on the internet to save my life. So if you have this video, if you have this clip, please send it to us at allangelspodcast at gmail.com or our social media feed at halo underscore haven in the DMs. But it was him talking to, I believe it was Bregman on second base, and he was talking about how it has been historically difficult for him to read the ball off the batter's eye in Houston. And he's been like that for his whole career. You look at his numbers strictly in Houston, they are far below his his averages. And it just continued to show in this series but it showed for everybody else. Like I mentioned, only two hits on Friday and the first one came in the first inning off a home run and they were pretty much silent after that. So then we move over to Saturday's game with Patrick Sandoval on the mound. Patrick Sandoval, again, a young guy that you have a lot a lot of promise for, but it just seems like in a game like this with a te- against a team like this, it kind of showed that he is still has some some learning to do and some development to do. He's not quite a polished finished product yet. He's on his way there, but until he's that you're going to have games like this, especially against very good teams like the Houston Astros and it started off in the bottom of the first one. Jose Altuve leads off the game for the Astros with a double. He would, end up, he would end up coming around on a Kyle Tucker single to make the score 1-0. And a couple batters later, after a walk, uh, Jake Myers would end up scoring two runs off a uh, off a single to make the score 3-0. So it was already 3-0 at the end of the first game. Inning. And already playing from a deficit isn't the way the Angels want to play. And it's not the way their offense is playing right now for them to come back late against a very good team. Um, Jose Architi was the pitcher on the mound for the Houston Astros. he had a, a very good day. And it showed, again, with the Angels very much being held almost hitless, only three hits total in this game. Um, offense seems to be non-existent right now, especially out in Houston. And it's kind of real sad to see because of how good this offense is at the beginning of the year. And that's why, you know, when people talk about the hitting coach and, and his job, and yes, I can understand why his job is in danger. And yes, I understand why people want want him gone. But I'm just, I'm lost for words as far as, okay, so what was working in the beginning of the season was that player driven was that coach driven was that you know is it on the coaches now to come up with a plan at the beginning of the year it looks like major league has a changed to and adapted to whatever your plan was now is it up to the coach to make another plan or is he being too stubborn and not willing to adapt if that's the case if if major league baseball has caught up with Jeremy Reed and and his ideas, and they're able to take advantage of it, and they found holes in it, and he's not willing to change it, then yes, I definitely agree, he needs to go. But I'm just not so sure why it worked so well at the beginning of the year when the Angels were on a great streak, and when it's not going good now, when we know baseball itself is a very kind of hot and cold type of sport. And a lot of these guys are hot and cold all the time. I mean, Trout is normally the most consistent guy on the team, But everyone else on the team is very hot and cold, or just non-proven. You look at some of the, you know, lineups um, in the the lineups they put out this weekend. You know, Taylor Ward, great story, but again, unproven. You're not going to take the first three months of the season and say, yes, he is a solidified great hitter. No, you have to see it more. I I mentioned Trout, Otani is very hot and cold. Walsh is very hot and cold. Renjifo, McKinnon, Suzuki, Marsh, Velasquez, all these guys are either. Too young to to say they're proven one way or the other, or just not hitters. Um, you have Velasquez who was DFA'd by the Yankees for this reason. So yes, I I loved his defense. I still love his defense. I think he makes great defensive plays. But the hope of him turning around and getting a little bit better at the plate, I think, has gone now. That was my hope at the beginning of the year when I saw that he was getting the majorities. Uh, the majority plays at shortstop or or, at-bats at at shortstop was like, okay, maybe this is what he needs more at-bats to get more of a rhythm to get a little bit better. Well, nope, it didn't work. He's not who he's not this guy. That's going to be hitting 230, 240 right now. If he gets up to 200, it is a success, but he's exactly who they thought they were getting out of the, I'm sorry, but like the scrap heap of the Yankees again, DFA by the Yankees. He got picked up. Angels thought they could do something with him, but he, they can't. He's just going to be a guy that might be traveling from team to team and be a this, uh, defensive specialist towards the end of the games, And that sucks because his defense is really good. But at a certain point, offensively, he has not been able to carry his weight. Brandon Marsh has been striking out a ton lately. And you're hoping that's just because he's so damn young and that he's still adjusting to the major league um, pitching. He was up for a little while last year, so now there is a book. Now there is a... Um, scouting report on Brandon, even more so after the beginning of the year when he was still doing really well, now it seems like the scouting report is out on him. Now they know how to pitch him. Now it's going to be up to Brandon and whoever is going to be the hitting coach next year to go in the offseason and try to fix those holes going in the next year. Again, he's very young. Brandon's the youngest guy on this 26-man roster position player-wise. So there is still a lot of time for him. Suzuki, Suzuki, he's going to be a guy that you know, has, I honestly thought he's done a little better this year than last year, but you're still not going to expect him to be a guy that's going to carry the offensive, uh, offensive team at all. Uh, Ranjifo has done a lot better over the last month or two, I still think you need to get him at bats at whatever position he, uh, they want to put him at, but I think he still needs to get at bats because if you look at what the other options are, you know, whether it's Velasquez or Renhifo or we'll get to Stefanik and, uh, Jonathan Villar who the Angels picked up over this weekend but if it's between those guys I definitely say you give Renhifo more at bats just because like I'm, he's younger he's Villar is not gonna be with his team past this year I highly highly doubt that he's gonna be he's anything more than just a substitution for um, Anthony Rendon and his injury and same thing with Andrew Velasquez I don't see him coming back with the team next year I can see Renjifo being some part of the team next year, whether that is a certified starter or if that's a guy off the bench. So I think he is a guy you need to keep out there. You need to keep him in the lineup to see what he can develop into for next season because I think next season is definitely going to be one of those make-or-break seasons for him, but you at least owe it to him, I feel, to at least give him at-bats. There's nothing to lose. The Angels are what they are right now, and that's not a winning team. So you, there's no there's no incentive To put him on the bench and not let him try to figure out what he's gonna do. There's no guy holding him back. There's no all-star type player in front of him that you need to give at bats to. When Fletcher gets back, that's a whole different story. We'll see what Fletcher is when he gets back. But I honestly think he translates better for what this team is um, to shortstop or even third base. And you can kind of keep Renhifo at second. But like I mentioned before, before like I mentioned before. Prior to the game on Saturday, the Angels um, acquired Jonathan Villar um, off of waivers. He was activated for Saturday's game, but he did not play in Saturday's game. The Angels would end up losing Saturday's game 9-1, so another game that was over really early. So now we go to Sunday. Angels hoping to avoid the sweep out in Houston, and you would have some new faces in this lineup, a new arrangement in this lineup before the game. Uh, we talked about Villar and how he got picked up the day before. But before the game, they activated um, a lot of what a lot of people wanted to see get brought up after last year and then the beginning of this year. Michael Safonic, um, obviously, he is a guy, an older Prospect type. He is 26 years old, but he has been doing really, really well in double A and in AAA the last couple of years. He was injured earlier this year, or else I do think, like a lot of people, you probably would have saw him earlier in the season. He's just been back now for I think a week or two, but he gets the call, gets his major league debut, and the corresponding move to this is that the Angels DFA'd Tyler Wade. So um We'll see what happens with him if he gets picked up, if he goes outright to uh, Salt Lake, or maybe he goes to the same way that uh, uh, Juan Lagares did, and he just outright elects for free agency. So we'll see what happens with that move, but Michael Stefanik now up with the Angels. Uh, he gets to start at second base. Villar is at third. They ended up moving uh, Ranjifo to shortstop for this game. So you pretty much have an all-new. And McKinnon played first base. So for this game on Sunday, you had, um, wow, you had out of the four guys, three of the guys started on, in AAA, and one guy started not even on the Angels organization and was DFA'd. So you look at it that way, this isn't a infield type that is going to win a ton of games. You can have one, maybe two of these guys in an an infield and be okay as long as the other guys are producing. But when you have your whole infield with these type of guys, guys that are either young and developing or guys that are holding on for another shot at another team, um, I can't see how this offense is built to win. And I understand you have to get these guys out there. You have to get guys off their feet and you have to kind of mix things up. I understand that. But if this is mixing it up, people always say, we need to do this. We need to do that. And my biggest response back to a lot of people on our, on our, in our DMS is, okay, what are you going to replace it with? Or what are you going to do to change it? Are you, who you take when out, who are you going to replace? You're going to take Wade out. Who are you going to replace? You take Velasquez out, who are you going to replace him with? And most of the time it's, oh, yeah, we really don't have anybody. And this kind of proves it right here in this game when you have pretty much all of the replacements in on the infield. And not only that, in the outfield you have uh, Ward and Trout, but in the left field you have um, Harrison, again, another guy who was, wasn't even with this team at the begin- or last year and has started this season out in AAA. So if you're looking at the lineup from top to bottom, you have Trout, Otani, Ward, Stassi, and that's it. Everyone else started with a different team or in AAA. So this isn't exact. We, we always talked about how they put out like a minor league type of lineup, and this was you know the the AAA bees against whoever. This, for the most part, is probably the most AAA team lineup that I've seen from the Angels in a very long time, and against a very good pitcher. I know it's the Astros, so you probably hear it all the time, Falmer. Valdez was a pitcher for the Angels and this game was even though and I kind of feel like I'm I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth even though this lineup you think would be very very bad and not even give the Angels a shot to win but that's exactly what they did they scored enough to keep the game close and it all started with Luis Ranjifo's home run in the top of the second to make it 1-0 and then Shohei Ohtani comes up in the top of the third on a ground ball to left field he would end up scoring Marte Harrison to make it 2-0 and like i mentioned there's so many games pass and so many times on this podcast you need to keep on adding runs because this these teams you you score 2 runs over 3 innings there's still a ton of time left in the game and and Certain teams need to get just need to get a couple of hits to get caught on fire, and that's exactly what happened with the Houston Astros. With Jose Suarez still on the mound in the fourth, Jeremy Peña, you'll hear him later, ended up hitting a solo shot to make the score two to one. Suarez would be able to get out of that fourth inning, only limiting to that uh, home run. So the Angels still had the lead going into the fifth inning. They were unable to score any runs in that fifth inning and the third out of that inning and when you're a team that struggles any kind of momentum any kind of base hit any kind of walk or getting a guy on base you need that because you can't take it for granted and there's such a I don't want to say I, lack of a term, better term just a bonehead play by Taylor Ward in the fifth inning he gets a base hit he makes a hard turn to like act like he's going to go to first. You see that all the time. And then Martin Maldonado ends up sneaking. And I don't know how Martin Maldonado sneaks up behind anybody. A, he's a pretty big guy. And two, he's wearing all that catcher's gear. You, you would think you would hear some kind of a rattling or something, something that doesn't sound like a guy with a, just a jersey on would snuck up behind Taylor Ward and Ward. I'm sure you'll see the video around the internet. I'm sure you've probably seen it by now actually thinks Jose Altuve is throwing him the ball or joking like he's throwing him the ball when in reality he's throwing it to Martin Maldonado right behind him, tags him out. So now that went from a single and maybe you now you have a two-out rally going on to the third out of the inning and any kind of momentum is gone and it's just a very, very bad look for the Angels. And honestly, it's like one of those things that... It kind of defines what the season is. You do something great, you take a step forward and then you do something They take two steps back. And that's kind of what this season has been. They do something great, they have a great outing, they end up, you know, having a great game, but then the next two or three games, they take steps back. And that's kind of how I feel this this season has gone. and Taylor Ward is responsible for that. The first base coach is responsible for that. There's a first base coach there for a reason. He should be, hey, get on,, get, on, get back, get back, get back, get back. Now, I don't know if there's audio or anything of like that of him telling him that and Ward just not paying attention, but that is something that you see in Little League. I don't even think you see that in high school. You know, between that and the hidden ball trick, I don't know what's worse, but that is something that should not go unnoticed and unmentioned in the clubhouse at some point because it, it, it's a perfect summary of this season. Take one step forward, get in on base, take two steps back because now you get picked off and any kind of two-out rally is gone. So Suarez would come out and start the bottom of the fifth. He started with a strikeout. He actually started out with two outs, but then he would give up a single to uh, Chase McCormick. Uh, and then he would be done for the day, which I'd never, I didn't understand that move at the time. Again, you're in the fifth inning, and this is his line. And this is how he ended. He went four and two-thirds four hits, two runs, four strikeouts, one home run, but all on 79 pitches. So the pitch count wasn't out of, you know, wasn't crazy. wasn't up there in, in the 90s and almost the hundreds. It was still very, very manageable. And this Angels team, especially with guys like Suarez, and like I mentioned before, like Detmers and Silseth, and these younger guys that you need to get an evaluation on, this would have been a perfect time to keep him in. It's not like the Angels bullpen, it's not like the Angels bullpen has been absolutely lights out the last month of the season. It's not like the Angels bullpen has been the best bullpen in baseball. And you know what? Yeah, I feel comfortable handing over to the bullpen because they're so lights out. No, they're not. And especially uh, the guys in the front end of that bullpen, they have had good games and they have bad games, but they're far from consistent. And and it's just it's kind of frustrating to be like, let this guy finish this inning. If he gets that next out and he's at, you know let's say 85 pitches 86 pitches why not let him come back out for the sixth inning and see what happens you know maybe he gets a quick one two three in the sixth inning and you're able now to extend now able to get into the seventh eighth and ninth inning. so you're not using a lot of your bullpen but i guess the angels were too too worried about losing the lead but unfortunately that's exactly what happened oliver ortega comes in with two outs to replace jose suarez so you're thinking okay you just need one out. It should be fairly easy. Granted, it's not a clean inning, but you have two outs. And a guy's on first. So even a regular base hit is not going to hurt. But what does hurt is when the very first guy up he, he faces is Martin Maldonado, Martin Maldonado, and he walks. And guess what? Now you flip that lineup over. Now the top of the lineup is up again. And guess who's up? Jose Altuve. He singles in. Chase McCormick to make the score 2-0. And, again, it just seems like Oliver Ortega just did not have his stuff today. I would have rather have got the same results with Jose Suarez because then that, at least that can kind of turn into a, a learning exercise and he can understand how it, what it takes to get deeper into the games. Even right after that single by Jose Altuve, he ends up giving up another single to Jeremy Pena, and now you have the bases loaded, and he's done. What a waste. Why not keep Jose Suarez out there? Let him try to – it's two outs with 79 pitches on his arm. Again, if it's 95 pitches or up, I can totally understand that. Even if it was Altuve coming up for the third time, okay, I can understand that because you don't want him going through the lineup that many times. But you had Martin Maldonado, the number nine hitter in the lineup. Let him at least try to get him out. That's something I just do not understand. They actually came out. To the, to the dugout before, the re, before he called in the reliever and had a good conversation. I honestly thought it was going to be a Phil Nevin type of moment where he said, get him out. He's your guy. And we saw how that worked with Suarez last time he had. He got the guy out. Huge confidence boost. You saw the emotion. It was a great, great moment. It was one of the best moments in the Phil Nevin era that's going to be really, really short. But you saw that. And granted, Phil's not out there today. He's still serving a suspension. Ray Montgomery is also serving a suspension. So there's some other backup to the backup to the backup manager out there making decisions. So obviously, he's learning on the job. But still, it just seems like there's not a great feel for what this team is able to do from the from the coaches and the managers, and when or when or shouldn't they let certain guys out? And it was just very very disappointing to see that. But Jose Quijada comes in, able to get that out, um, to get out of the inning. So now you're tied 2-2 going into the sixth where it would stay that way all the way to the bottom of the ninth. Again, tied 2-2 still when you had Ryan Tapera on the mound. Again, a guy that has been doing better but has still hasn't seemed to find the consistent consistency that I think a lot of Angels fans were hoping for at the time of his signing. And he would give up a walk-off home run to Jeremy Pena, his 11th of the year, second of the game. The Houston Astros walk it off 4-2. to two. Angels get swept by the first-place Houston Astros. And it was just overall a very, very bad game. Terrible series, um, pitching and hitting. It was just a series that you hope um, the Angels I, – I mean, I don't know – can you say learn from? I don't know what, what, what the positives coming out of this is going to be, but you're just hoping that someone's smart enough to pull something out of this that can help this team grow some way because they are taking some major steps back right now. Today's episode of the All Angels Podcast is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and hate your favorite team, a rising tide floats all boats, so go check them out online and on social. Go to org or open Instagram and type in at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. Spelled like sports Drink without the vowels. So another big topic or big, big number coming out of this game on Sunday was the strikeouts for the Angels and the History breaking strikeouts for the Angels in Sunday's game. The Angels struck out 20 times in this game. 20 times. Every single person in the starting lineup, even if they came in to pitch hit, struck out. So everyone, even if they got, even if they came in to pitch hit for one inning or one at bat, they struck out. Led by Michael Stefanik, three strikeouts. Trout, two strikeouts. Um, Rinifo three strikeouts as well. It I don't know what has been the issue for the Angels when it comes to strikeouts. I'm a guy that when I look at strikeouts, I don't necessarily look at them like certain people when they're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe he's striking out so much. That's horrible." Because I'm my idea is that's still better than hitting in to a double play. But for the Angels right now, they can't even get guys on base to hit into double plays. There's a fine line between okay, striking out this much, okay, that's fine. I'm not too worried about it. And just striking out way too much to where it seems like you have zero idea of what is coming at you or if you have a plan, an approach at the plate. And I think the Angels are kind of on that side now where it looks like they just are going up there and, oh, whatever, let's see it and hit it. And it doesn't seem like that's the smartest move for the Angels right now. Striking out 20 times in one game is an Angels franchise record that they set they set for a nine inning game. And this team has just been a very, very um strikeout heavy team. And that's just really unfortunate because like I mentioned before, at the beginning of the year, they were absolutely killing it offensively. And I don't know what changed. I don't know what flipped. I don't know what was the 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 factor that made it from You know, was it Trout going down with injury? Was it Rendon? Was it, what is it? Because if Trout is still nursing that groin injury that he missed time on, then that is something that the Angels should really look into and sitting him for uh, a couple days or something like that. Because he has been struggling really, really mightily. He had that kind of breakout weekend up in Seattle, but he always does that. I feel like, I feel like Trout can be on one leg and go up into Seattle. And perform really, really well. It's like the anti Astros for him. Where in Houston, he has a very hard time picking up the ball off the batter's eye, and I feel like in Seattle, he has that. That ball must look like a beach ball to him coming off that batter's eye because it just it is crazy to see how different he can he he looks. And granted, yes, the pitchers are a little different between Seattle and Houston at the the level they pitch at, but for the dr- drastic. Difference between the two teams, is kind of crazy, and also too the Angels set a MLB record, um, or I guess the Astros. I guess it, it depends on who, what fan you are. But the there was a record set with forty-eight strikeouts in a three-game series without extra innings, and the Angel and the Astros set that against the Angels. So again, um, not great history for the Angels, but still history made. And I don't know what it is, what changed. It's the same hitting coaches for the most part it's the same guys you know like I mentioned before is it just something as simple as at the beginning of the year they changed their approaches their their approach to the plate and now everyone else has caught up and now they're not willing to change their approach people are finding holes people are finding ways to get around certain guys and even though the Angels do have a lot of young guys who are still trying to develop and try to get, you know, major league at bats and feel comfortable with major league at bats. You look at their strikeout leaders, the individual strikeout leaders for the Angels, you have Marsh that's number one. And again, I I was always worried about his offensive production. I knew his defense was really, really good, but I was always worried about that jump from the minors to the majors because of his bat. His defense, again, is going to keep him around, and you just hope that during this offseason that he's able to develop and able to take the next step in his offensive um, maturity because he is very young, like I mentioned. Besides, um, I think he is still the youngest guy on the the 26-man roster out of position players. He's 24 years old, so there's still a ton of time left for him to figure things out. But right after that, right after Marsh at in first place for with strikeouts, you have Walsh, you have Trout, and you have Otani. So Walsh, Trout, and Otani are all in their top four of team strikeouts. Those guys should be at the bottom. Those guys should be the ones, you know, taking advantage of. Uh, um, miss misplay or mislocated balls and put it in play. And there have not been. Walsh is only one strikeout away from first place, from being tied with Marsh. Trout's only two away from tying with Marsh. And he's missed a ton of time. Marsh hasn't missed a nearly as much time as Trout has. And Marsh or Trout is two strikeouts away from tying Marsh for the team lead in strikeouts. And Otani, I know O'Tani has a reputation of getting umped horribly. I understand that. But he's still at 81 strikeouts. So you can say what you want about the coach, but at a certain point, some of these players, some of these established veteran players have to take it upon themselves to do better. What what is Honestly, what is a pitching coach going to teach Mike Trout? What is a pitching coach going to teach Mike Trout about him doing this and him doing that. Mike Trout knows what he's doing. The pitching or the hitting coach doesn't matter at all for him. The hitting coach is more just a, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing. Okay. But now it's on Trout to make that adjustment. And for him to be striking out 88 times right now at this point of the year is mind boggling. And it's just from him again, him, Waltz, Otani, those guys are supposed to be some of the leaders of this team offensively and they have not proven that or you you know you have an issue with strikeouts on a team guess what it's up to your leaders to set an example of when not to strike out or how not to strike out or how to put a ball in play and their leaders right now aren't doing that so how can you blame the other guys the Stassies, the Wades the Rendones the Duffies those guys um Renhifo all those other guys that are young guys looking up to the the, the, the established guys those guys are striking out and nothing happens so, okay, if I strike out, no, not a big deal. It starts from the top when it comes to this. Trout needs to needs to tighten it up a little bit. Otani needs to tighten it up. Walsh needs to tighten it up. It they if they want this team not to strike out as much, I honestly think you need to look at the top of the lineup. You need to look at your veterans. You need to look at the guys where you pay all that money to and, and are all stars, and yet they strike out way too much. You know, people want to say that Otani is you know, should be first place as a DH in in the All Star voting. No way, he's not he's not the best DH in baseball. Now, if you add what he did and what he does at the plate and what he does at at the uh, at the mound, and yes, he is the best, the most impactful. But like last year, when people start talking about the Cy Young or, or this and that, I'm like, no, because pitching by himself, he's not a top five pitcher. Same thing with DHing. If he's just a DH by himself, he's not a top two or three DH right now. He's not. He strikes out way too much. He doesn't get on base enough. Yes, his power is there. But if you are a DH, your power is going to be there. That's kind of the name of the game when, when you're a DH is power. So there is things that guys need to really start tidying up if they want to f- kind of fix this strikeout problem the Angels seem to have. But it all starts from the top. It all starts from Trout. It all starts from Otani. It all starts from Walsh. Those guys, those three guys should not be in the top four of strikeouts, and I get it; they get more at bats than everybody else. But still, they need to put the ball in play. They need to be able to show the the team how to put the ball in play. Because at the end of the day, you're looking, you're hearing a lot of guys. They look up to Mike Trout. They look up to Shohei Otani and what he does. Now you have to go out there and show it and prove it that they believe that these guys are all stars and they should be all stars. But the strikeout numbers are way out of hand, and the strikeout numbers from your top players are way out of hand. So you're probably listening to this on the 4th of July. So I want to be the first to, to say happy 4th. Hopefully everyone stays safe. Enjoy some barbecue. Make sure uh, if you're going to light fireworks, make sure there's a fire extinguisher nearby or something. Cause uh, like I mentioned before, and it's still kind of the back of my head, uh, don't catch trees on fire. Cause that shit sucks. <laughs> and if it's definitely by a house, it sucks even more, but uh, kind of odd that the Angels and, and the, actually a lot of teams are not playing on Fourth of July, which is a big L for Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball should have between Memorial Day, Labor Day, and Fourth of July, Jackie Robinson Day. Every team should be playing. And even if it's like a weird schedule where a team a team plays on a Monday off on Tuesday and then plays again, you know, plays the rest of the series on, on like Wednesday, Thursday, I, I think it's very, very important for – baseball to when they have the stage like they're going to have on 4th of July to take advantage of it and it just doesn't seem like well the scheduling's too hard and it's difficult we'll find a way you know major league baseball wants to complain about how the the game isn't growing or they want to say they they want to grow the game everyone's home or majority of everyone's home on 4th of July make it something that is synonymous with baseball thanksgiving you think NFL christmas day you think NBA Fourth of July should be baseball. Fourth of July should be, you know, an all-day, you know, four-game ESPN nationally televised game, one in the morning, you know, one in the afternoon, one in the early evening, and then a, obviously a late 7 o'clock game for the West Coast people. And it just seems like they they have no no idea of what they're doing with when it comes to that stuff. It's just I think Fourth of July should be a – baseball type of holiday, like I mentioned, Christmas, basketball, Thanksgiving, football, 4th of July, it's up in the open, and it doesn't seem like baseball wants to take advantage of that at all. So with that being said, obviously the Angels are off Monday on their way to Miami to play a quick two-game series against the Miami Marlins. Noah Syndergaard takes the mound on Tuesday for the Angels, hoping to look to bounce back after a Okay outing, not great, not bad, but you definitely would expect more out of Noah Syndergaard, the guy who was supposed to come in and be a solid number two behind Shohei Ohtani. And he is going against Sandy Alcantara. This guy is legit. This guy has been pitching very, very well, and he's been pitching very deep in the game. So he is—he knows how to manage his pitch count. He is 8-3. and three with a 1.95 ERA with 97 strikeouts. So Marlins have, have had pitching now for a little bit. It's just, are they going to be able to produce enough runs to beat the Angels? And that's why Noah Syndergaard has to have a very good game on the mound because Sandy is their ace. Sandy is probably one of the top, you know, with DeGrom and Sergio injured. If you're talking about, like, active guys right now, he's probably, like, a top five guy, active pitchers, not including, like, You know Bueller, who's on the injury list, or Scherzer, or any of those guys. Sandy has done a very, very good job recently, and he himself can win this game for the Marlins if you let him. So hopefully Noah's up to up to that standard. Hopefully he's up to um, going deep into this game. And like I mentioned, starting on Tuesday, this bullpen should be back at full health. Rossell Iglesias served his one-game suspension on Sunday, so it should be he should be back and ready on Tuesday but that's going to be on the Tuesday game now going into Wednesday's game against still against the Miami Marlins you have Shohei Otani on the mound again and he's been the type of guy that you put out there or has been at least recently the guy that goes out there and just Break streaks, losing streaks. Able to put this team in the win column, and you're hopefully he's going to do that against Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. He is four and six with a five point five six ERA, sixty two strikeouts. He is a lefty, so I'm going to be interested to see how this lineup gets orchestrated on that day. Is Marsh out? Is Walsh out? Or do you are you letting those guys um, out there and against the lefty and see if they can figure things out? But those are the two game series against the Miami Marlins in Miami before they head up to Baltimore for a four-game set on Thursday through Sunday. Um, It's going to be a very, very hard schedule before before the end of the first half. After the Marlins, I mentioned Baltimore. Baltimore's playing better. There's a very good chance, very, very good chance, that at the end of that Baltimore series, the Baltimore Orioles could be in front of the Angels when it comes to that wild card spot. Then after that, they come home and they face the Houston Astros for three, and then the Dodgers for two before the All Star break. And you would hope this team can get to five hundred by the All Star break, but now I I seriously seriously doubt that is a possibility just the way they've been playing. And two, it showed the Astros show that they are way ahead of the Angels and and how good their team is. And you're going to play another four games a Against them and two against um, the Dodgers, who have their own kind of struggles going on, but also have their own kind of um, struggles as far as keeping San Diego off of them in the division. They are going to have to be out there to try to win games because they don't want to get leaped over for the division. But as we stand right now, at time of recording, Sunday, late Sunday night, the Angels are 37 and 44. That is 15 and a half games back out of the division lead. You go over to the wild card. They are a full seven games back of the last wild card spot of Tampa Bay, which Tampa Bay currently holds. NLE or AL East have four teams in the playoffs right now with the Yankees in first, Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. All three of those guys have a wild card spot. Teams that the Angels would have to overtake, to get into that third spot of the wild card. I mentioned Tampa Bay, but also the Cleveland Guardians, Chicago White Sox, Seattle Mariners and the Texas Rangers. So now the Angels are now looking up, looking up at third, second and first place in the division worth a team that was, you know, almost favored to come in second, maybe first, but definitely second and it just has not gone well for the Angels. They finally, after this series this weekend, dipped below um, zero in the run differential. They are a negative 13 runs now uh, when you look at that stat. Like I mentioned before, Baltimore, only a half game behind the Angels in their record. Um, definitely not good. Definitely need something needs to change. And I think it's safe to say now the Angels might be sellers when it comes to the trade deadline and that is something that we're definitely going to talk about more and more as it gets closer and we get to the all-star break and more teams start to kind of almost declare what what they're going to be and, and, and who they're going to be as far as buyers or sellers and who can be on the market and who can fit where but as we see here right now it's definitely starting to look like the Angels are going to be um, sellers at least for their main guys. The Angels did though as during this recording did make a move to I don't know I I mean I guess solidify the bullpen or solidify the rotation I don't I mean I don't expect much out of this move but the Angels did acquire from the Braves um, right-handed pitcher I'm gonna butcher this name uh Taki Takenot I don't know whatever either way he gets optioned to Salt Lake. So it was not like exactly he's going to be making a huge um, impression on this team right away. And I think it's just maybe to fill in a a void for Archie Bradley if need be. But again, it's something that the angels are just did from the braids and um, for cast consideration. So just pretty much taking his contract and I'm guessing it's, it's going to be just for this year. But to make room for him on the forty man, they DFA'd uh, uh, Jack Mayfield. So we'll see how that plays out. See if that guy, see if Jack comes back with the Angels, or if someone picks him up, or if he elects for free agency. But for the most part, Angels are going to be sellers. Yeah, they made a small little move, but I do not believe it's going to be a move that affects this team one way or the other. But we'll see how this plays out. But Angels definitely need to get get things going in the right direction, as, even if it doesn't mean making the playoffs, but it does mean kind of showing your fan base that you want to try to win and you're not going to be a, a team that tanks or a team that throws in the towel when things get tough because it just seems like right now, I'm not saying guys are quitting, but it doesn't seem like there's that same kind of energy there was at the, at the beginning of the season when everything was going right. It seems of like kind of a very fair weather type of Um, dugout during the games. When things are going great, they're on it. But if not, then they seem not to be interested at all. So hopefully that changes around. Hopefully they're able to put some wins together in Miami because we'll be back um, Wednesday night to talk about that game, that series, before they head up to Baltimore. So if you have any questions or anything like that, you can always leave a voicemail for us at 951-384-0810. Again, that's 951-384-0810. Leave your question, hot take, whatever you want. I want to hear it. Um, you'll call. You'll. It's a voicemail. You'll have a little welcoming entrance uh, message. And then, like any other voicemail, at the beep, leave, leave your take. And I'll hopefully... Um, hopefully it's a good one and I can play it on the podcast. So other than that, you can always reach us on our Instagram and our Twitter at halo underscore Haven. DMs are always open and I enjoy talking to you guys on there. I'm possibly going to do some more Instagram lives as the season goes on to hear what you guys think about what's going on with the angels right now, because it is definitely not, uh, not good news. And so, Hopefully they are be able to turn this around. Hopefully the leaders of this team can start by turning themselves around, and it is a trickle effect down to the other guys on this roster. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the All Angels Podcast. Again, we'll be back Wednesday night, so get those questions in um, on our voicemail or, or on our Instagram feed or any other way you can contact us. And I am Daniel Garcia, and this has been another edition of the All Angels Podcast.